What's up, buddies? My name is Ty Richardson. This is the Morning Fast Break. Coming up, Gerald Bourget joins me. going to talk a lot about the NBA Finals, what he thinks about the Warriors and Cavs meeting in the Finals for the fourth straight time. Also going to touch on Arizona State. He's a graduate of the Sun Devils. We're going to see what he thinks about Herm Edwards as a new football coach. Let's go. It's Bedlam here in Cleveland. Perry blocked by James. Making a statement on both sides of the floor. Says to the two-time MVP, get it out of here. Not on my watch. Gerald Bourget, editor of Hoops Habit, joining me this morning. Gerald, thanks for the time, man. Are you one of those people excited for Golden State Cleveland Part 4 starting tonight? I think I might be. I'm a little on the fence, though. I was hoping for at least one different team this year um, just to mix it up, not because I'm bored with um, you know the same two teams being in the final, but I am a little bit worn out by a matchup that's uh, going to be pretty one-sided. That's the only downside to this. Um, but you know, you, when you've got the best player in basketball going up against arguably the greatest team of all time, that's still going to make for riveting television, even if you know the final outcome might be pretty predictable. You cover this sport for a living. If Boston had beaten the Cavs, you already mentioned that you'd rather have one outside team compared to what we've had the last three years. Would you have found the finals more interesting if the Celtics and the Warriors were battling tonight? Um, Possibly. I mean, I think the Celtics making the finals would have been a great story just with that young team and, you know, making it as far as they did, taking the LeBron James-led team to seven games in the conference finals without Kyrie Irving and Gordon Hayward, that would have been an amazing accomplishment. I'm not sure how the matchup itself would have played out, but, you know, that's a the league-leading offense against the league-leading defense that would have been worth watching. And uh, I think the Celtics would have been able to push them, even if the basketball itself might not have been, always been pretty. I love Brad Stevens, Gerald, and I thought he got out-coached by Ty Lue in Game 7, and it it's always hard to coach superstars in sports. Lou's led the Cavs to three straight finals. They've won the finals back in 2016. Could we be undervaluing his coaching? Um, it's, it's definitely possible. I mean, everybody wants to keep all of the credit on to LeBron, but a couple of those role players stepped up in big ways, and when Kevin Love went down, Lou had the correct adjustments with his rotation to make sure that they remain competitive against a team that you could definitely argue was better. Um, I don't know how much credit I would give him for that. It it seems like his options are pretty limited as far as where he could go with his rotations, but he did make the right calls, so you have to give him credit for that. All right, Steve Kerr said the Warriors could have beaten Houston in five games if Andre Iguodala was playing. Where does he rank in terms of the importance amongst the rest of Golden State? Um, you know, it, it'd probably have to be number five outside of their four superstars, which doesn't sound very important, but it, it really is considering that he's the one that unlocks that um, small ball lineup that just tears people to shreds. You look at the first three games and that five-man lineup played like 74 minutes and were a plus 30-something in their time on the court. And, uh, you know, once he went down, games four through seven, that's when things really started to get interesting. Uh, for the Warriors and the Rockets were able to find their footing a little bit um, with him having to play more traditional bigs like Kevon Looney and Jordan Bell. Um, and if he rides with those guys in the next round, 
it's going to be interesting to see how they match up against the Cavs because Tristan Thompson has done damage on the boards against this team before, and uh, one of the best ways to play him off the floor was going small. So if Kerr's hesitant to use a small ball lineup with, like, Sean Livingston in Iguodala's place, uh, this series could get interesting, but, uh, you know, that's assuming that Iggy doesn't come back or that they never go small. Um, So it'll be interesting to see how that shakes out. The Rockets missed 27 three-pointers in Game 7. It's the craziest thing I've ever seen in a basketball game. Why wasn't D'Antoni able to adjust and get it done in that final game? I think people look at that game and say that the Rockets needed to adjust, but if you look at the actual threes that they were missing, so many of them were wide-open, good threes that you want your team to take. They just didn't have their legs under them at some point. And, you you know, you could make the case that D'Antoni needed to switch it up, have them, uh, you know, go for the mid-range shot or attack the rim more, but it's not like Harden and Gordon weren't driving to the rim. A lot of those open looks they were getting were the product of penetration, um, that was when you needed someone like CP3 who historically has dominated the mid-range and always kind of got the Rockets out of funks like that when they couldn't hit during the regular season. They really needed him down the stretch. So as much as it was unfortunate to see you know, the whole live by the three, die by the three adage come to life, um, pretty much every team in the NBA needs to make its threes now. That's just the way the game is. And... It, it was unfortunate to see their three ball just completely disappear at the worst possible time for them. All right, Gerald, hypothetical for you. If Chris Paul's healthy. Do they win this series? I think so. Um, with the caveat that Andre Iguodala was out, yes, I think they might have won it in six or seven. Um, just because, you know, they had all the momentum in the first half of those games. But their rotation was too short. You could see it. Everybody on the Rockets was gassed, especially Harden, by the third and fourth quarter. And that's when the Warriors were able to kind of take over. And um, things just started slipping away with all those missed three-pointers in the second half of Game 7. I think Chris Paul is the one that kind of calms them down. Um, And I I think they steal one of those two games, hold off the the third-quarter onslaught that was coming. But... Um, it, it's tough to look at it that way because you could easily make the case, like Steve Kerr said, that this series would have been over much sooner if Iguodala had played and they could have gone with their preferred uh, small ball lineup. To go off that, the Western Conference Finals and the Eastern Conference Finals both went to seven games, and I thought they were both great series because we were kind of disappointed with a with the Western Conference Semifinals and the Eastern Conference Semifinals. Which conference finals did you enjoy more? Um, I, I got to go with the West on this one. I think the East was really entertaining as well. But, um, you know, the West featured the two best teams in basketball. And the way that the Rockets were able to battle back and push the Warriors to the very brink of elimination was, I mean, that was really, really fun to watch. Um, even though Harden may not have lived up to some people's expectations and Chris Paul missing the last two games was obviously a huge disappointment. Um, that was a really competitive series, and it was kind of interesting to see the Warriors look vulnerable for the first time you know, in the last two years, it seems like. I don't know if you saw the David Aldridge-Steve Kerr interview, but he asked him, you haven't faced elimination. And Steve was like, 
David, do your homework. We faced elimination <laughs> against Oklahoma City. Do you think he was just messing with David, or do you think he was like genuinely angry at that question? I, I think he was just messing with David. Um, and, and I think Aldridge was basically asking about facing elimination with this current Kevin Durant group because it's a very different team from the Warriors teams that he coached before KD got there. Um, but yeah, that was a, that was a pretty great moment. So last time we talked, Gerald, you, you thought the Suns would go DeAndre Aiken, but DeAndre Aiden, excuse me, but you like Luka Doncic. Has your mm-hmm. thought process changed since then? Not really. Um, I mean, I, I've really come around on the idea that Aiden will be the pick as far as, um, you know, in embracing that because he probably is going to be a perennial 20 and 10 man. The thing that just worries me is if you look at these conference finals right now, and maybe this is just a coincidence, but the four teams that made it to the conference finals all have a lot of wings that can guard multiple positions. And that's my concern with Aiton is you look at Clint Capella, he's one of the best defenders in the league for his position. Um, and he can, you know, hold his own relatively well out on the perimeter, but his fourth quarter minutes took a hit throughout the conference finals because the Warriors went small and they couldn't keep him on the floor the whole time. So Aiton has the potential to be better defensively, but, you know, you look at Arizona's NCAA tournament loss against Buffalo, a bunch of no-names, they went small and completely feasted on having him switched out on the perimeter um, there were just too many times this year when guys would blow by him, and you know it doesn't sound like a huge concern, like a seven foot center. It's okay, just have him guard the rim. But in the NBA, they will feast on those kind of mismatches. They'll get him switched on the perimeter, and that could be an issue, especially for a Suns team that ranked dead last in defense last year. Yeah, and Tyson Chandler is old, and you mentioned the Suns have never had a franchise center, but with the way the NBA is heading with this small ball, and the centers are almost obsolete at, at this point in time. Is it wise to draft a number one overall? You know, that's the question I'm struggling with. I, I think he's a can't-miss prospect, and, and you look around the league at some of the centers, and there are still a lot of great centers. You know, there's there are guys that are developing the skill set to make sure that the center position doesn't become obsolete. Um, you know, guys like Porzingis, Carl Anthony Towns, even Nikola Jokic, even though he's a bad defender, um, guys like that are worth drafting. And I think in the future, we'll see, you know, a Joel Embiid team lead a team to the finals or at least to the conference finals. Um, so I, I don't, I wouldn't call it obsolete and I wouldn't say that Aiton is not worth drafting number one overall, but you're definitely right. Like having that wing depth is crucial and probably more crucial than having a, a dominant seven-footer on the court. Maybe obsolete's a little too strong of a term, but if you look at who the, what the Warriors do uh, time and time again, even the Cavs at times, they go small, and it's hard for teams to match up against that. So if you're going to beat the best, which is the Cleveland Cavaliers and the Golden State Warriors, wouldn't it be wise to go after a wing rather than a big man in the first round? Right, and... And here's my counter-argument for that is, while it would make sense to draft someone like Luka Doncic or someone that can play the wing and play multiple positions, it's also worth noting that, like, by the time this Suns team is ready to contend, the Warriors and Cavs probably won't be the top dogs in the league anymore 
it'll probably be a team like Philly or Boston or someone else. So you have to have an eye on the present and the way that the game has gone, but you also have to keep an eye towards the future, which can be difficult because there's no way to predict how a team led by a a unicorn is going to fare in the future. (laughs) But, uh, you know, I wouldn't use it as a reason not to draft Aiton. I would be more concerned about whether he can anchor a defense, um, whether he would be a good fit with Booker and Josh Jackson on the offensive end, those type of things, whether you think he has NBA three-point range. um, Because if you are drafting a seven-foot big man, you would hope that his range extends beyond the mid-range because, you know, a seven-footer that is not a reliable defensive anchor and can't shoot the three, that's kind of risky. What do you make of this whole Brian Colangelo situation? (laughs) I mean, the NBA, man, this league, it's out of control. Um, I would like to think that it's not him that was doing it, even though one of the burner accounts he admitted was his. Um, I don't know if you saw on Twitter last night, but a lot of people were linking the accounts to his wife um, based on the fact that her phone number ends in 9-1 and three of the accounts for like the recovery option, the number that it would send to was ending in nine one as well. Um, I think it's rough at this point because the Sixers, this investigation is going to be thorough. It's going to reveal the truth. And I think if it is Brian Colangelo or if it is his wife, like this raises a whole set of questions as far as etiquette in the workplace, as far as what they do now that, you know, Brian Colangelo or Brian Colangelo's wife really upset a lot of players on the team <laughs> by talking bad about them, uh, releasing sensitive medical information, and just you know vehemently defending him. It's a lot better if it is his wife because then that's just you know who doesn't want their wife sticking up for them in, <laughs> in the workplace. But like if it's him, that looks really bad, and I struggle to see any outcome other than him being fired. I think LeBron's leaving the Cavs, and one thing Chris Broussard, excuse me, not Chris Broussard, uh, Nick Wright has linked is David Griffin possibly replacing Colangelo if he ends up getting fired. Uh, through this process, do you think this hurts or helps LeBron chances heading to Philly? Um, I think right now all it can do is hurt. If they do out Colangelo and bring in Griffin, obviously that really helps. Um, and the whole narrative switches. But as of right now, the only you know takeaway from all of this is that this really hurts their ability to get in the room with LeBron this summer. And I, I think they still will because LeBron's options are actually kind of limited this summer if you look at teams that would actually be good and allow him to contend for a title without having to gut their roster and still having room to give him you know, the major contract that he deserves there aren't that many places that check off all those boxes. Philly could probably be one of the top ones and maybe Houston if Daryl Morey gets creative, but even Houston, they'd have to kind of gut their roster to make room for him and Chris Paul. And, uh, you know, I I feel like Philly is probably, believe it or not, his best destination other than just running it back with the Cavs and hoping they can get creative to put, you know, another reshapen roster around him. So with Houston, they take it all the way to seven games. They lose a heartbreaker at home. You saw the emotion from Jeff Green and others, excuse me, Gerald Green and others. I'm wondering if the way they lost uh, 
hurts LeBron's chances of going there. Let's say they got blown out. It would be one thing, but they lost and they lost without their second best, arguably their most important player, but their second best player. Does the way they lost hurt LeBron's chances of ending up in Houston? I don't think so. I I think what hurts the most in that regard is the fact that, you know, they have Ariza being an unrestricted free agent this summer. They have Clint Capella being a restricted free agent this summer. Like there's only so much cap space to go around, especially with Chris Paul um, probably getting his wink wink deal this summer after, you know, opting into his player option last year. So he could join the team. Um, I, I think losing in that way actually helps them because it shows how close they were getting to knocking off the Warriors without him. Adding him into the mix would make things really interesting. And Houston has the horses to make LeBron's life easier. Like, he has to do everything in Cleveland. With the Rockets, he'd have Harden and Chris Paul that could set him up for good looks as opposed to the other way around. So it'd be interesting to see another ball-dominant player like LeBron join the mix. But I think what hurts their ability to lure him down to the Rockets is the fact that they would have to shed considerable depth and would struggle to match like a max offer for Capella uh, as a restricted free agent. You have the Warriors in five. I have the Warriors in five. Besides an injury, what could change that? Um, A lot of things would have to happen to change that outcome. I think uh, the only reason I'm not going Warriors in four is out of respect for the kind of insane postseason run that LeBron's having. I think that alone gets in the game, probably in Cleveland. But, uh, you know, the role players are going to have to knock down shots. Kevin Love is going to have to return pretty soon. Um, Iguodala is going to have to miss the whole series. Curry and Clay are going to have to shrink from the moment. Kevin Durant is going to have to really um, do what we kind of saw in the conference finals with a lot of his ISO plays that were ill-timed and kind of threw the Warriors away from their ball movement. Um, it, it, there's a lot that has to happen for this series to be competitive. And I just, without Kyrie Irving on there, like Clay Thompson can just focus on shutting down Jr., who's one of their potential spark plugs and X factor kind of guys. I just don't see them having enough horses to compete, especially with that defense and the Warriors ability to single out mismatches and take advantage of them. They did that against the Rockets, who were a very good defensive team and were able to switch most of their positions one through five. The Cavs do not have that luxury with the same caliber of defenders. So I have a bad feeling it's going to be a feeding frenzy. Hopefully I'm wrong. But, um, yeah, it it seems like too much has to happen for this series to last beyond five games. People always debate if dynasties are good for sports. If the Warriors win three out of four, is the NBA in a good place? I think so. I mean, a lot of people like the ones that have to watch basketball religiously that cover the sport or, you know, the casual fans that maybe don't know as much about the sport. Some of them have an issue with obviously the the two teams meeting in the finals for four straight years. But we also have to understand how rare that is. Like it's the first time in all four major sports that this has happened with the two teams meeting four years in a row. And, you know, you look at it and it's hard not to buy into it like the ratings still went up in the conference finals even though we got the matchups that uh everyone was expecting in the end 
The finals ratings were really high last year as well. They'll probably be really high this year. And it's easy to understand why. You've got the best player in basketball kind of taking this challenge on of pushing this boulder up a hill against the greatest, arguably the greatest team of all time. Um, I think I think dynasties are good for basketball because when you look back on the history of the sport, the Lakers and Celtics rivalry from the 80s, the you know Jordan's Bulls, the San Antonio Spurs, the Shaq and Kobe Lakers, like those are all the teams that people remember the most. And as much as people hate the Warriors now, they are really fun to watch basketball-wise. It's some of the best basketball I've ever seen. And you know, watching LeBron take that on, even if it's a short series, I, I don't want to say that you know this this is a rivalry or that it's really great for the sport. I think something fresh this year would have been fun too. But um, you know, these ratings are going to be really high. I think it's good for the sport to have this kind of cyclical turnover where teams rise to the top, where they stay there for a few years, and then where someone new comes along and knocks them off. So. It might be a while before someone knocks these Warriors off, but I don't think it's bad for basketball. All right, two more questions before I let you go. We're going to change up the topic a little bit. What do you think about your alma mater hiring Herm Edwards? Um, <laughs> you know, it's kind of one of those flashy hires that uh, I'm going to stay optimistic about simply out of blind allegiance to my <laughs> school. But, um, you know, I, I thought Tom Graham was a very good coach. I thought it was a little odd that they fired him the way that they did. And uh, hopefully there's some substance behind the sizzle for this guy. Um, But he hasn't coached in so long. And when he did, he was, you know, a good coach, but not anything that's going to, you know, spark my interest in in this football team or my belief that they're going to be an elite football team. It'll help with recruiting for sure, I think. But uh, we'll we'll see what the on-field product looks like. And we haven't really talked about food yet. Most of the guests I have on are talking about food. I've heard Tempe and Tucson are just awesome college towns in Arizona. For your money, what's the best place to eat in Tempe, Arizona? Oof, that's a rough one. Um, When people come to town, I always take them to Oregano's. It's like uh, they've got pizza. They've got like Chicago-style pizza, pan pizza, pasta. Um, It's kind of like an, an Italian joint, but... It's my favorite place to take people, and there's probably a lot better answers out there, but that's the that's usually my mainstay whenever someone comes to visit. Got to take them to Oregano's. Hey, man, it's you got to go with your gut when it comes to food. I, I'm I'm not the biggest <laughs> I'm not the biggest trip advisor. Oh, go to the number one place, blah blah blah. I go to where I like to go eat, and whether it's a hole in wall or whether it's a nice place, it's it's all about that, man. <laughs> All right, Gerald Borgay, he is the editor-in-chief at Hoopsabbit, does a lot of stuff with the Phoenix Suns, really covers them hard. Gerald, thanks for the time, man. Hopefully we'll get a better finals than five games, but uh, I don't know if we will. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. I thought the conversation got interesting when we started talking about the big men usage in the NBA because if you look at now, Gerald made a good point. The Warriors and Cavs have been dominating as of late, and they've been going small, but the future could be still transitioned back to the big man, which will be. And it's not the traditional big man you think with Shaq, Akeem Olajuwon, Tim Duncan. You still have a little bit of a stretch five in Joel Embiid, but they can still manage to get their back to the basket and get some buckets. Got to end today's show with the Swaggy P quote. 
Wouldn't that be something if you actually won an NBA championship? It's if you look good, you play good. The swaggy starts when how I come into the arena, how I dress, the shoes I wear. Talk to you next week.